This is Steve Adubato. It's the Leadership Hour uh, on AM 970, the answer. They do have the answers. Hopefully we have the answers mm-hmm. on the uh, Leadership Hour. We, I know we raise a lot of questions. I'm here with my colleague and co-host, Mary Gamba. How are you doing, Mary? I'm doing great. How are you, Steve? Doing great. By the way, let folks know before we bring Joe Roth, the president and chief executive officer, of New Jersey Sharing Network on the air. Tell folks how they can connect with us. Yeah, definitely. First and foremost on our website, stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. They can get a lot of valuable articles free of charge on all of these and other topics dealing with leadership and communication. Uh, They could also follow you on Facebook, Steve Adubato, Ph.D., and that's A-D-U-B-A-T-O. Uh, that's Facebook. And then on Twitter, Steve Adubato. And also, too, if you're listening on the radio right now on AM 970 and you want to subscribe to us, you can do so uh, through Apple iTunes and on Google Play, uh, where you could then uh, check out our previous podcasts on these topics. Good stuff. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's great about the Leadership Hour, as you listen to us every week on AM 970 or check out our podcast, which we send to you is the fact that we have all kinds of interesting leaders, um, folks who are different fields in different fields. And the guest we're about to introduce has been a longtime friend of ours, a colleague, a partner. He has been a leader in the private sector. He has been a leader for a long time in the not-for-profit sector. And uh, right now he leads an organization that is literally saving lives every day. He is Joe Roth, who is the president and chief executive officer of New Jersey Sharing Network. Good to talk to you, my friend. How are you, Steve? Doing great. Joe, for those who do not know what the Sharing Network is, just let everyone know. Uh, The Sharing Network is an organ recovery organization that uh, is charged with identifying organ donors in a service area that covers most of the state of New Jersey. And then we, if we have consent, we recover those organs and allocate them to patients waiting for transplant. In New Jersey, there are over 4,000 people waiting for transplant. To that end, Joe, let everybody know the website of the Sharing Network and so they can find out more information and actually can act on it. Uh, it's www.sharenj.org. Sharenj.org. And um, by the way, how big is the team that you lead every day? Uh, we have almost 200 employees here at the Sharing Network, hmm. both uh, full-time and part-time. And Joe, uh, you, Joe, Joe and I know each other even before you, Mary, from a previous life Joe, uh, your previous background as a leader? I worked in the pharmaceutical industry for almost 20 years. In the last few years, I worked as in the public policy area as a corporate lobbyist for the pharmaceutical company doing state and federal lobbying and uh, also dealing with corporate philanthropy. So uh, I had a multi-focus position uh, in that that organization. The reason I asked Joe is because his view of leadership is shaped by a lot of experiences. Joe, let me ask you this. How would you describe, and we've asked every leader who has come on the Leadership Hour, uh, including your colleague, Elise Glennon, who uh, works with you every day, heads up on the foundation side, also is on our board of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Um, Their approach or philosophy of leadership, do you actually have one, Joe, that you can describe? Well, my type of leadership is is empowering leadership in the sense that I don't micromanage. Uh, I uh, you know every one of my senior leaders and I have an understanding of um, you know what information I need from them and that they should keep me in the loop. But I don't have to uh, know every single minute of the day what they're doing. Uh, and so I think um, it's a it's kind of a hands off type of leadership. But I have 
such a good leadership team working with me that um, it, it gives me a, a, a lot of comfort to know that I have these people and they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, but Joe, developing such a great team just doesn't happen. And for those listening to the Leadership Hour, they're saying, well, that's great for you, Joe, but I don't have such a good team. How would you describe how you've recruited, developed, coached, and dare I say retained such a great team? Loaded question, I know. I know. Well, back in 2011, we had a little bit of a speed bump in the organization in terms of how well we were functioning and how well... Uh, the leadership team was functioning. People report to me and myself. Uh, at that time, um, we felt it necessary to bring in a consultant to help us uh, hmm. shore things up. Uh, we had been reading a book by Patrick Lencioni called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Lencioni is exceptional. By the way, it's L-E-N-C-I-O-N-E. Patrick Lencioni, a uh, great mentor of mine. Go ahead. So we brought in a consultant from the table group, which is Patrick Lencioni's organization, and we started a complete culture change in this, in this company. And under, you know, under his, his management philosophy, the first thing you have to do, to, you have organizational health, but you have you know, a smart organization and you have a healthy organization. A smart organization does everything that an organization does. You have, you know, it, it provides, it, it's, it, you know, provides quarterly reports, it, it does the financial stuff, it reaches, you know, manufactures things or whatever. But a healthy organization is one that attends to five different things, and that's trust, dealing with conflict, commitment to process, accountability, and results. And so you have to first, as part of this change in culture, is to build a cohesive leadership team, which we were able to do over the span of about a year, and since then, we st we've been following the tenets of uh, the table group in how we uh, run ourselves every day. And that is what they call developing organizational clarity. So uh, we, we create, uh, um, a created a core purpose, which says, why do we exist? And, you know, we save and enhance lives. Um, we, we live by our core values, which is how do we behave. We're dedicated, eager, compassionate, resourceful, and team-focused. And then we have a business dot definition. We steward the gift of, organization, of organs and tissues. And finally, we have uh, our strategic anchors, which is how we make decisions every day, uh, business decisions. So we preserve the public trust, we innovate, we are responsive, and we maintain a competent and committed staff. And so that's that's really driven this organization for the last seven and a half years. So let, let me try this, Joe. And by the way, uh, it's Mary, on our website, one of, one of the things I want to do as I listen to Joe um, is to list some of the great leadership books that are out there. And Lencioni also, Lencioni also has a great book. Patrick Lencioni has a great book on, it's not called Why Meetings Stink, but it's all about why meetings stink. It's called Death by Meeting. It's called, it is. It's called Death by Meeting. And that's, Mary, you know the book. I do. That's how I first got introduced to him. But the reason I'm mentioning this is I want to have a section, uh, Mary and Steve's 10 best books mm -hmm. on leadership other than, by the way, Joe, do you have lessons in leadership, uh, my book, anywhere around, or you just looked at other consultants? No, no, no. I have you. <laughs> sorry. I have it. I've been reading through it. Okay, just checking. Uh, Joe, here's, here's the thing I've been thinking about. So you've been a leader for more than a couple of years, right? How the heck 
So, so, so you're really setting up the question, Joe. I've been leading our organization for 30-ish years. And I know this sounds crazy, and I'm not saying this to be self-aggrandizing, which I could easily be. I, I feel more passion, energy, enthusiasm for new and better ways, innovative things. How can we do things differently? How can we be better? How can I be better? How the heck do you do it, Joe, every day? Be that. I saw, we were at Joe's office recently. Joe's standing. Joe's, Joe doesn't even have a desk that he sits at. He got some people to come in ergonomically, whatever, and he stands and does his work. Yeah. He's, he's on a walks. treadmill when he's yeah. on, he's do, doing his work. The, the point, you're laughing, Joe. My question is how do you keep the leadership, Joe Roth, fresh? Well, I, I love getting up every day and coming to work, for me specifically, and I think that's how my, the rest of my team act works. Um, it's our core purpose is we save and enhance lives. How many jobs can you have where you do that on a daily basis? And I think that's what drives me, and that's what drives my staff. And, you know, it's not a – there's nobody says that's not my job. Everybody pitches in. Uh, we hire for our core values so that um, – People recognize that 50% of any of their performance uh, appraisal is tied to core values, and we, we manage to that all the way around. And, core, and so I think what we have is a very enthusiastic, dedicated staff. And what about, I'm sorry, Joe, for interrupting. What about you, though? I know you got a great team. I'm trying to find out about you. How do you keep as interested and engaged in finding new and different ways to lead? How do you do that? People say, I'm done. I'm, I'm burnt out. You, you're the opposite. Yeah, I, I think it's the people I'm with, but I, I, I always look for a challenge uh, when things start to, you know, slow down. Or um, I, I'm always looking at ideas. I, I read other other there um, leadership um, vehicles too that are out there uh, to help me. Uh, so you know, a good book that I liked that started me before even the the. Uh, there's a book called Committed Teams by by Musa Boyer and Newberry, and it talks about how team, you know, that that how you inspire passion and performance hmm. in in leadership teams. I've also liked a book by Susan Scott, and this one's old, called Fierce Conversations. It's Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott, classic, classic book. So you know, those are the types of things I do a lot of reading. Uh, your book is beautiful, so it's helped me a lot too. So I, I think um, I think you know that's helped me continue to be motivated and also look for ways to uh, keep people at a high performance. But but within the table group process too, Steve is is there's this meeting structure where we get together on a regular basis. What are your meetings like, Joe? Well, they used to be terrible, but now <laughs> <laughs> now but now you know we have. Um, we follow his his uh, program. You know, we have every morning we have a huddle where everybody gets on the phone and tells each other w what their day is going to be like, so that if we see something we want to, ha we have information about or or one maybe maybe interested in learning more about, we we hear about that every day. Um, once a week we have what's called a um, t weekly tactical, which is basically a senior staff meeting. But it's kind of an agenda-free item. Everybody comes with their own agendas, and we, we look at what was agreed to the week before and for follow-up. Mm. And then we talk to, you know, uh, various uh, standard operating objectives dealing with performance. 
Uh, once a month, we have a <clears throat> what's called a monthly strategic, where we just talk about strategic to topics. Um, big picture to topics. Big picture topics. Big picture. And quarterly, we have an offsite where we sit down and we we work with our consultant and go through exercises and talk about things that are uh, that we you know are bothering us. And hmm. um, so all of those together have helped maintain this cohesiveness of the team. Love it. Before I let you go, Joe. Uh, by the way, Joe Roth, who is the uh, president and chief executive officer of New Jersey Sharing Network, an absolutely incredible organization that we've been proud at our production company, the Caucus Educational Corporation, to be partnering with over, I don't know, four years now, five years now? Mm -hmm. uh, talking about uh, public awareness around organ and tissue donation, and Joe's been a great partner. Joe, before I let you go, um, you have a healthy obsession with music. How many times have you seen... The Rolling Stones. None. I am going to see them uh, June seventeenth at MetLife Stadium. Well, hold on. Who is it that? You, hold on, Joe. Well, Lady Gaga. Oh, Lady Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know what it was. I said that I saw Lady Gaga and Mitch Ga Mitch Jagger at the Prue Center, mm -hmm. and that she actually got him to step back because she was that powerful. Um, but you, you do love music, don't you? I do. I'd rather go to I'd rather go to a rock concert or concert than uh, than go to the theater. Unfortunately, that <laughs> bothers my wife to no end. But every great leader, the point I'm making here is every great leader needs um, a stress or stress relievers, things that get him or her away from the pressures of being a leader. Fair to say, Joe? Absolutely, and that's one of them. I absolutely do that. I also have my grandchildren to deal with, which is also keeping me busy. So, mm -hmm. and I know Joe, you uh, you and I have spoken as well that you like to travel as well, and I he think that yes, he plays golf in different places around mm -hmm. the. Joe, you play golf all around the world. I have, uh, mostly in Europe, uh, right, right. And, and Mexico. You know, but uh, my my wife and I have uh, we find ways to relax and decompress that are you know involve travel and sports and athletics and things like that. By the way, when we get off uh, with Joe, Mary and I are going to talk about the ways that we um, find to relieve stress and then the ways we need to mm -hmm. find to relieve stress. <laughs> hey, Joe, I want to thank you, buddy, for joining us on the Leadership Hour. You, you were terrific as always. My, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Take this care. Is, this is Steve Adubato. That is Mary Gamba. We'll be right back with the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour right after this. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Mary, it's interesting. Can, can we do this? Joe was talking about, I, I don't know why. I, thought we, I guess we were talking about the Rolling Stones and threw me off. Um, he does like concerts. He does... Mm -hmm. Um, like to travel. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not huge on traveling. I'm actually very do the show. Yeah, you don't like travel much at all. Only because sometimes I find it stressful. Yes. Okay, but I am actually taking our my wife and I are taking our kids to another country, Mexico. I don't know if there'll be a wall there by the time we get there, but um, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully they let you back in. That's the most important thing. Well, they let thing. me back in is the key. Yes. But um, in all seriousness, great leaders. I know we didn't have this on our agenda, but Joe triggered this. That's one of the great things about this show is that it can trigger different ideas and thoughts yeah. that are not, quote unquote, on the agenda or the script. Being a really good leader and having constructive ways to 
decompress, get away, whatever you want to call it. What's yours? That's a great question. Um, so you think you know what's going to happen when we're here in the studio? Yeah, no, and, and um, it's interesting because I have a lot of friends who constantly remind me of how busy my schedule is. And my schedule is pretty much work and then my, my kids, my 16-year-old and my 13-year-old, getting them to where they need to be and on time and making sure that their lives are where – So. And you're the leader of that team. I am. And and honestly, that to me is a stress reliever. I put on my different hat and, and that's the insanity of it all. Like, it, you know, if my in-laws and my parents always laugh because they look at my family calendar because they often go to the games. And we had six games this weekend hockey. from Friday night hockey games. Yep. And uh, in addition to concerts and meetings with teachers and but to me, that is my stress reliever. I, I'm I am present in those moments because I know that they're not going to be kids forever. So for now, I Meaning can't you're not say gonna get to do this. Exactly. And and but that's not to say that I don't I don't aspire. I do write. I, I do a lot of writing on the side, um, really just about the different lessons that I've learned, you know, going through so this process. So when is your book coming out? Uh, we're going to talk about that, actually. I'm, I'm being dead serious No, I've right got now. a title. I've got 15 chapters written, so I'll share a and lot of information. And you're going to tell me when, tomorrow? Right now, 2019, 2019. Um, but it is. It's it's fascinating the things that you do choose to do. And I, I chose to do that starting five, six years ago because I saw the insanity that was becoming my life. And I said, if I don't start taking a different perspective on this. And it did involve, I, I have a therapist and I like that as Same it. here. Yeah, and I love that as an outlet. Um, and, and to say that that's something that you do to relieve stress, but that is something that I think everyone needs to embrace and children as well. And uh, my children also have a really great therapist when needed. And I think finding that outlet, everything is different depending upon who you are, what you do, whether it's golf or yoga. I tried the gym thing for a little while, but I found out that was just more stressful. It was one more item on my to-do list. Really? Yeah, I took that I off. Okay, I took it off. We happen to have a gym, in, in a very small gym, mm -hmm. in our house. And I also like to go to cycling, which yeah, is other people call it spinning. Yeah. This is a bike that doesn't go anywhere. It just stays yep. in the same place. Mm -hmm. But I was over the weekend. I was at a place called um, Cycle Bar. Is that what it's called in Montclair? And the music, the music's great. The lights yeah. are out, and you're in a class. But I found myself there are 45 people in the class. They put up the numbers on the board. I was competing to be first. Wow! Congratulations. I'm sure I was one of the, no, no, I don't mean that in a good way. Oh. <laughs> I meant, I meant, I was one, I'm sure I was one of the older people in the group. Right, right. But I looked at the list, and I'm but like, but you were like up there though. You're I was, saying. I was in top five, and then at one point I was one. Mm -hmm. And then some dude next to me, some guy next to me, looked at me because they could tell what bike you're on. The point I'm making is that. He then was number one, and I was number two, and I got peeved, and I was like, wait oh, a minute, hold fantastic. on one second. Wasn't this supposed to be a stress reliever? Yeah. Now I'm competing right. to be first in a class of 50 people. What? Yeah. And as long as you – are you enjoying it? Did you enjoy – like when you got out of there, did you say, I really had a good time. I'm glad I did no, this. I, no, are you ready for this? And then I'll go, we'll go back and talk about this. I exercise partly for stress relief, mm -hmm. partly out of vanity because mm -hmm. um, I don't want to get too heavy. Yeah. Um, and probably because I think it's healthy for my heart. I don't. I don't even know if it's that much 
health, work, life. Yeah. I don't even. I, but I, as it, long as you're doing it, as long as you're not seeing it as something to check off on your to do list. But that list, was what it was. Go back to you. It was so beyond. Really? I mean, it was, I was dreading it. I was like, how am I going to fit this in? Not to mention I'm paying for it every month. And then I'm like, why am I paying for this I'm feeling guilty month? about and that. Exactly. Because, you know. Who's got money to throw? To throw away when I'm not right. even going. And then I'm feeling guilty because <laughs> I'm not even going. And so to me, a huge, a huge stress relater, uh, reliever for me is to go through and take a look at that to-do list and see what really doesn't need to be there. Activity versus impact? Activity go versus there. impact. Yeah. And we talk about that all the time. And there's a lot of people, I think, who have stuff on their list that they feel like I have to do 10 things today. And those would really just be activities on your list. And if I don't get these done, it is not a success. And I'm going to stay up until two in the morning, almost like homework when we're in school. And who likes homework? Nobody likes homework. Sounds like fun. It's not fun. And it's really taking a look, a look, a real close look at that list of, all right, I only have, you know, 24 hours in a day, not even, I mean, you know, 18 hours of alert wake, wake time. And what am I going to do with it to be the most productive and not productive in, oh, I checked off all these items, but how am I going to have the most impact um, at work, at home, in, in every aspect of your life? And for me, that was a stress reducer, getting that organized in a way that made sense. By the way, you're listening to Mary Gamba. This is Steve Adubato. This is the Leadership Hour. You may think you've just tuned into a classic self-help program. That's okay. Sometimes we are. Leadership and communication but, but is there all about it is. that. Mm-hmm. Is that not? And I know I've said this before. Um, one of the chapters in Lessons in Leadership, my book that mm-hmm. if it were not for Mary, uh, would never have been written. Um, and, our, and our former colleague, uh, did Victoria help on this book? Uh, did she help? Yeah, she started. Yep, she helped with yeah, this but it was, one. Mary mm-hmm. was the key to this. Um, there's a chapter called you cannot lead others until you lead your yeah you learn to lead yourself and is that part of what you're talking about it is i i think oftentimes a leader gets confused uh they they work hard they get to that uh top of that mountain and then they they finally have arrived <laughs> right and Where and you think I? you're there and i'm here and this is great and until you really get yourself in check and whether that means whether you're leading with an iron fist and you're being too abrupt or stern with your words with your team, or if it's literally taking that time for yourself to be present and in the moment, you need to learn how to lead yourself before anybody else is going to believe in you as a leader. It's true. And by the way, it's interesting. Not everyone can do this, but I'm going to put this out there. <clears throat> a while back, um, when Mary and I were talking about this, Steve Adubato with Mary Gamba, the Leadership Hour, welcome to all of our friends on AM 970, listen to us on our podcast as well. And this is important for everyone, even though it may not be relevant for everyone. So leadership, organizational life, flexibility in schedules, right? Mary came to me, I don't know how many years ago it was, and she's not the only one who's dealing with this. There are all kinds of other folks dealing with this. And she wanted to talk about her work schedule. And she said, I need Fridays. I need Fridays to do whatever it is I'm going to do. Now, that's not as if I don't bother Mary on Fridays right. because I do. Mm-hmm. As Things well as need Saturday. to get done and you get them done, and but you don't but, physically need to be somewhere. She's not only not in the office, but it's supposedly her day off. I, I, don't, I don't even ask her what she does, but I know she does whatever she needs to do for herself. And about a year ago, I said to Mary, mm-hmm. Mary, can, can I have your schedule? Yeah. Meaning, can I have Fridays can, too? Can I try Fridays? And on Fridays, the truth is, and why this is connected to this conversation, is there are things that I do on Friday, and I am thinking about work. Of course. I am thinking about creative ideas. But I also go to a stretching yoga class. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work out a little bit longer. Um, I 
just do stuff that makes sense for me. Yeah. I'll it, go sit and have a lunch by, by myself or with my wife. Or, mm -hmm. But my point is, I don't know why I think I'm, I make better decisions and I'm in a better place. And what the heck? And this isn't about, oh, they take Fridays off. It's not. It, it could be any day of the week or it could be a, oh, I'm actually going to leave at 5 o'clock, right? I yes. mean, that is like one of the hardest things to do. You all, I know everyone that's listening understands that. You get into your workflow. You get into your work day. Next thing you know, it's 5.30, 6 o'clock. You're barely getting home in time to see the kids before they go to bed if you have younger children uh, or see your spouse or your girlfriend, boyfriend, you know, fill in the blank. But until you take that time for you, and and again, that it doesn't. It's not about Friday. It's, it's not about, about Friday is a metaphor yes, for something else. For something else, and and again, it's not like pr productivity is going to stop or any of that. But in order to be the best you, the best leader, the best manager, the best. If you're starting out, if you're in your, you're just graduated college, and you're in that millennials group that we talk about so much, you need to make sure that you find time for you, for yourself, to lead. Because if not, if you're not if you're not thinking about your own wellness and self-care, you're really going to end up burning out. It's so interesting Mary mentioned this. We, we're actually partners with uh, the folks at a uh, medical insurance mm -hmm. company uh, called MD Advantage. Yep. And a great company. We do coaching, leadership development for them. They're also one of our sponsors and underwriters. Uh, by the way, Mary, let's plug the sponsors and underwriters of, yeah, no, the, of our organization and, and who helped make this possible. First, our big sponsor, and mm -hmm. I promise I'll come back to this yeah. subject, uh, Larry Downs at New Jersey Resources. Yep, absolutely. And then we have so many other great um, partners that we work with in executive coaching and leadership and communication that, where we get a lot of these topics and and uh, figure that all out. But RWJ Barnabas Health, we have Valley Bank, Cone Resnick, MD Advantage, as you had said, Gibbons, NJ Sharing Network we had on Joe Roth just a little while ago. Hackensack Meridian Health. Hackensack Meridian Health and uh, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, uh, just among others. And, and really the lessons that I've learned were Working with you and all of these great organizations over the years is not only the challenges and the obstacles that any organization, whether you're in healthcare, whether you're in finance, business, uh, insurance, um, it doesn't matter. It's the same challenges, and we're all here to help one another um, to really just turn those challenges into opportunities. And to Mary's point, that what I was uh, was saying with MD Advantage, this insurance company, their members are physicians, mm -hmm. and they actually started a podcast. And the first subject was on physician wellness. Yeah. And I'm thinking, physician wellness, what does that have to do? So they're talking about helping physicians relieve stress and anxiety mm -hmm. and burnout. And and we do a lot of coaching of physicians. Physician, We have a physician leadership academy. Yeah. We, but I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. Should we incorporate into our curriculum other than how to run a great meeting, how to give a great presentation, how to negotiate more effectively, how to coach Brian's in the studio uh, nodding his head? How do we give feedback to those around us? Should we incorporate? Wait a minute. Hold on one second. How do you take care of yourself? Is that a leadership trait? It is. And funny that you should mention that because if you recall, just uh, at the end of 2018, you wrote a fantastic article about the uh, work-life balance, the work-life integration, which yeah, I am call going... Yeah, they call it work-life integration. They and they said that... the difference was that balance sometimes connotes right. you better have 60, 40, mm -hmm. 40, 60, exactly. whatever. Exactly. And, and then no also another thing to do. Right. Or, or you 
truly see it as, oh, 50-50, you see a seesaw and you need it to be balanced and <laughs> right. that's not going to happen. Um, but what I'm going to do is on our website, stand-deliver.com, right on the homepage, I'm going to post that column that you wrote on this topic because, yes, it's something that we'll explore here on our podcast. But you could also read about, because you offered some really valuable tips and tools about being present, about activity versus impact, which we were ta- talking about before. You really spoke about some of the the key tips and tools to not get burned out. And of course, it's just the tip of the iceberg. But it is important for us all to think about ourselves as professionals, as we're also trying to work our way up that professional ladder, regardless of the profession. By the way, tell folks again our, our website as well as the other ways. Yeah. I, I, listen, I, Mary and I spent about three years writing another book <laughs> called <laughs> You Are the Brand, mm-hmm. which is why I'm my sense is we are obsessed with branding. And people think, oh, what are you bragging about yourself for? And I say, no, we're just trying to tell you how to find us. Yeah, and you also know, give something wanna... of value. And, yeah. and it's true because and plus I'm... we don't charge. And not, yeah, well, we charge are... for our work. Yes, we don't charge book. for our free stuff the on the free website. Stuff. And, and you have an archive up there of 25 plus years of writing communication and leadership columns. They are all archived up there now um, at stand-deliver.com. You can go there into the search uh, box and type in practically any topic related. Yeah, so we got about a minute left. It kind yeah. of topics we yeah. you, you you go under the topic of relationship building. You can go. I mean, who who thinks about relationship building? And it's all relationships. How about people think? Oh, come on, relationship mm-hmm. building. You got to tell me about how to do yeah. that. I do it every day. But do you really do it the right way? Are you being strategic? We talk about strategic agility, dealing with change. We talk about the art of confrontation, which is something that all of us need to get better at. Uh, we talk about just having conversations like you and I are doing today with a guest on the Leadership Hour. How and, many people come on the Leadership Hour so anxious before they come in here yeah. thinking, how many How many people, just today, yeah. how many people came in with their notes oh, to yes. read? Exactly. And, what and then, yeah, they didn't look at them once because it's a conversation and it's about asking open ended questions and the art of facilitation. So, those among. Is it natural for people? I know we got 30 seconds left. Are these things natural for people or do they no, need to be coached I, and trained and a lot of look it at is, it a different way? Yeah, I think. A lot of it is coached and trained. I think to think uh, to that, of course, some people it comes more naturally, the gift of gab and being able to have a conversation. Others are more introverted or more book smart. And sure, they're very, very intelligent, but they may not have those same tips and tools of how to break the barriers down. And that's when I is on our website. Hey, I know the leadership hour may not have gone exactly the way we thought it, it was going to go. But that's okay. Yeah, and that's Mary Gamba. This is Steve Adubato. This has been the leadership hour. I want to thank our colleagues and friends and the great team. At AM 970, The Answer, and everyone listening to on our Leadership Hour podcast. And uh, Steve Adubato, catch you next time. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Hi, I'm Dennis Wilson. For over 50 years, Delta Dental of New Jersey has been committed to educating the public about the importance of good oral health and its role in our overall health and well-being. That's why we're proud to support the important healthcare programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at Two Gateway. Funding has been provided by New Jersey Sharing Network, dedicated to saving lives through organ and tissue donation.
Delta Dental of New Jersey. Everyone deserves a healthy smile. Seton Hall University, where leaders learn. The Northward Center. NJM Insurance Group. The New Jersey Education Association. And by New Jersey Resources. Promotional support provided by NJ Advance Media. And by Jaffe Communications, where business, media, and government converge in New Jersey. Welcome to State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. We're coming to you from the Agnes Varis NJTV studio in Brick City, Newark, New Jersey. It's our honor to introduce, joining us for the first time, Dr. Clinton Coleman. He's with, uh, affiliated with Holy Name Medical Center, and your area of expertise is? Uh, internal medicine and nephrology, which is kidney disease and high blood pressure. But you're also very aware of, concerned about, and need to talk about, want to talk about, uh, the fact that race and health care directly related. How so? Um, you know, with the United States, there's been some history of mistrust in the healthcare system. Um, we know that black males as a demographic have the lowest life expectancy of any major demographic group. They're more likely to develop uh, cancer, diabetes, and high blood pressure. These are all preventable diseases. And they're also less likely to be involved in the organ donation process. Um, the reasons for that are many. Partly it's education, lack of access to health care, uh, or mistrust of the healthcare system. So, um, you know, there's been a lot of race issues, and uh, as we know, race issues in society have always paralleled race issues in healthcare, which has led sure. to a mistrust of the healthcare system. Okay, let's break this down a little bit. We were talking before we got on the air. <coughs> Thirteen percent of the population, right, African American. Four percent, yes, of all physicians African American. Right. Why is that relevant? Uh, it's extremely By important. By the way, why is the number so low? Well, there's many reasons, right? And I'm sorry for asking two questions at once. Go ahead. Yeah, um, but I preface to say that getting into medical school is difficult for everyone, right? So right. medical schools, as we know, have been segregated into the late 1960s. So with that, there's been a late start. And there's only been a few institutions that accepted black students to go into medical school. Right. Um, there's also been cuts in medical education financing. Uh, medical school is really expensive, so most students leave with about $200,000 in debt. Um, also, there have been shifts away from minority health programs and affirmative action. So these young, talented black children aren't able to go through medical school. Opportunities aren't there. Exactly, <clears throat> for many reasons. So a black a patient happens to be African-American, he or she. And by the way, is it more African-American men that yes. are distrustful, if you will? Definitely. And we're, we're all things being, quote, unquote, equal, right. big leap, big question, yeah. would rather have a, 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 a doctor of color. Definitely. Because? Um, there's some studies that show that black males feel more comfortable when they're taken care of by a black uh, physician. They feel more comfortable. They're more likely to comply with preventative care. Uh, and that, the disparity that we talked about earlier, is reduced by almost 20%. So it's a big deal. And not necessarily a black or a white thing. I just think patients overall feel comfortable with the doctor, what they can relate to. They speak the same language. There's more trust. There's better communication and less bias on both sides. That's why it's important to have diversity in a medical That's staff. Definitely. But I go back to something you said before. We're, we work with the Sharing Network in the state of New Jersey yeah. in, in promoting public awareness around organ and tissue donation. Yeah. You, you said that, that the numbers of those who happen to be African American who are willing to say, yes, I will be an organ donor, is not what it should be. Right. Because? Well, I think organ donation, it, it's on the same spectrum as you know, this mistrust of, of the healthcare system on the part of black mm -hmm. patients. Um, there's two. Types of, I guess when you think of it two ways, there's a recipient and there's a donor. 
So, you know, you're thinking from the perspective of someone who feels like they've been taken advantage of systemically, why would they want to give their organ to a system that, you know, they've really not gotten back much from? Um, the recipient part of it is, you know, there's clinical decision-making bias for d certain diseases, meaning depending on your race, gender, or socioeconomic status, you're likely to receive less aggressive care. So, for example, I'm a mm -hmm. kidney doctor. Black patients are more likely to receive dialysis as opposed to a kidney. Um, they're also less likely to accept the kidney because they don't trust the system. Less likely so if they've been waiting, they've been Definitely. on the list three years, right. less likely to accept it. Well, kidney. they don't even want to get on a list because they feel like they don't, I don't know, deserve it or what, what have you. Are you, are you, to what degree are you constantly talking to patients who happen to be African-American and trying to talk through these issues with them? Um, there's a lot of cultural bias that we have to, so we need like culturally competent providers to address this. What that means. Say, say someone's not African-American, right? right? They, but, but being culturally competent, not just in dealing with a patient who happens to be African-American, right. someone who is uh, uh, Hispanic, someone right. who's Asian, someone comes from whatever part of the world because right. we're such a diverse community. We have to understand why patients do what they do. There's, there's some, some background information. There's a cultural. So, for example, nutrition is a real cultural right. basis. So... If, you know, soul food, you know, is common in the black community and is not the healthiest food. So you have to take that into to consideration as well. Um, also, lifestyle changes like exercising, you know, and that's not, not necessarily the coolest thing to do. But, um, you know, we're trying to change that dynamic and that thought process that, you know, being healthy, you know, does mean eating better and taking care of yourself. One more thing I'm curious about. <clears throat> the Affordable Care Act, a lot of po political discussion in Washington around right. it. If the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare, were to be repealed in a significant way, right. you have argued that it would disproportionately impact the African-American community because? Well, definitely. So the Affordable Care Act, there's more patients of different demographic groups who, you know, socioeconomic status who can't afford health care, have more access to health care. Um, if you repeal that, if you take that insurance away, then those set of patients won't be able to receive the care that they probably deserve. Final question. Uh, by the way, speaking with Dr. Clinton Coleman from uh, Holy Name Medical Center, I'm curious about this. You got into medicine because? I like helping patients. I think that's the most basic thing you can do to help people, right? It's, it doesn't boil down to anything. That's all we have is our bodies. So I think for me to give back to the community and help uh, patients at an individual basis, you know, that's what I, I live for. And not understand the connection between medicine, healthcare, Race and racism is a mistake, is it not? Short-sighted. We underestimate, you know, race as it relates to healthcare system. You know, you have the glaring examples like the Tuskegee experiment and gynecology surgeries on women That's without right. anesthesia. But there's so many other reasons for the developing this mistrust as we have to work to undo that damage. Doctor, we thank you for, for being with us and, and talking about such an incredibly important issue. We Great. Thanks best. for having me. You got it. Stay right there. This is Steve Adubato. I'll be right back right after this. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. I recently moderated a forum hosted by Choose New Jersey on a new federal initiative it's called Opportunity Zones. Now, this is a program looking to spur economic investment 
and communities throughout the country. Many of those communities are, in fact, right here in New Jersey. On the panel, we had four experts in economic development, real estate, and of course, opportunity zones. Here now are those interviews. Chris, let me ask you, we just did this forum where in Newark, New Jersey, Choose New Jersey, in fact, um, put this event together with Governor Murphy and United States Senator Cory Booker talking about opportunity zones. Briefly, if you were to describe to someone who never heard of opportunity zones, how would you briefly, succinctly, but effectively describe them? It's a private sector tool to do community economic development um, by identifying specific locations to incentivize private investors to create new jobs, create new mixed-use development, and to amplify quality of life. How? By simply giving investors something that they hadn't had before to invest in distressed communities, and that is a tax incentive. If an investor has money in Google or a land property, if they actually sell those investments, because we understand the return on investment of that, mm. if they actually said, you know what, I can sell this, but I can't invest in a local community because the tax and the numbers don't work, well, this program provides that incentive by giving them both a tax deduction as well as a potential opportunity to make even more money off that initial investment. To those who say, come on, is New Jersey that great a place to do business, you say? Absolutely, and here's why. The way this program is designed is going to require investors to find projects that actually Opportunity zone. Opportunity zone projects and locations that actually can produce a profit. At the end of the day, the investors are naturally just putting this money in as charity. This is not a contribute, uh, charitable contribution. They're not just trying to do the right thing. Exactly. This is, hey, how can I make a buck? But actually doing a way that actually is targeted communities that need the resources the most. And let me tell you, based on the survey of uh, interviews that we've done with our membership across the country, we're finding that communities that have transit access, that have a strong employment base and have a diverse economy are probably at the top of the list. And guess what? New Jersey is one of the top of the uh, states where people are looking because they know right now the market is demanding for walkable urban places. There's a need for mixed use income. How about our workforce? You have many great universities and as well as you have a very uh, vibrant uh, small business incubator space that are tied to University uh, Rutgers and many other institutions here. Um, that is your attribute. Thank you, Chris. Hey, thank you for having me. These opportunity zones, what could they mean for a distressed school district, a distressed community struggling to get its sea legs when it comes to economic development? I mean, I think it finally just means the way out. It's a transformative opportunity to actually allow them to finally exit financial distress, to be like the Newark people remember from 60 years ago. This is one of the tools and probably the best tool in a long time to just structurally change the economy such that these cities become the centers of their communities again. Why is that, Evan? What's in it that makes it? Because there have been other federal initiatives, other federal state uh, relationships or collaborations that were supposed to make a big difference. What do you think is different here? So this is just changing the framework of the economy. That's what's unique about it. It's not a new program. It's not something you have to talk to a bureaucrat about to figure out. It's something that's private sector driven and is going to be something that allows for the investors to make the decision as opposed to a bureaucrat making the decision. That's what's categorically different about it. What advice would you have for urban communities, leaders who may be thinking about this and say, yeah, it's hard to deal with the federal government, state government, bureaucracy, it's tough, you say? I think it's not tough. The first thing is just to recognize that this is something you can really get your arms around. If you're a city like Newark or Patterson, you're larger, dedicate a staff member to it. If you're a smaller community, like a lot of the ones in South Jersey, band together and try to get enough expertise around it to really participate and just start packaging your projects. I mean, Newark alone has hundreds of projects that this could work for. And so it's just figuring out what they are and then getting to investors. Thanks, Evan. Thank you. Margaret, you know an awful lot of, about investing. You make 
tough decisions about where to invest, why you invest. This particular initiative, um, this federal initiative that Senator Booker was talking about earlier, that the governor was talking about as well, why is it so important? It's so important because the communities that were selected and not just you know the ones that were chosen in New Jersey but all around the country are desperately in need of capital. These are places where there are high levels of poverty. It's not getting the private capital they need and yet at the same time there are great businesses, there are great projects, there are great opportunities in these communities. So, so this, Opportunity zones. Opportunity zones. So these zones and really this legislation around these zones is going to be great to encourage the private capital back into those distressed communities that really need it. It's interesting, you and your colleagues at Goldman, um, you gotta make tough choices, right? You gotta say, you pick and choose, you say no to some. What are some of the things that you would be looking for? Like say, we're in Newark, we're taping in Newark at Rutgers, uh, part of the Rutgers campus here uh, in Newark. In a city like Newark, or Jersey City, or Patterson, or Camden, et cetera, what would you be looking for? What are some of the better or best practices? Yeah, so, so Newark's a great example. So Newark's a place where we've already made 22 investments, and what's really drawn us to Newark is a few things. It has great fundamentals. It's part of a very strong regional economy, great corporate anchors, excellent transit, great location within just a regional transportation network, and we've had really strong partners on the ground, both in the private real estate development community, but also our public sector partners in City Hall, in the Economic Development Office. So we have local stakeholders really driving us to the projects that are gonna be the most impactful, and the actual partners on the ground to get it done. Let's break down uh, Opportunity Zones just a little bit. Steve, are we basically saying that if an organization makes an investment in a community, an identified community, and they stay there for X amount of time and have significant impact on improving the community, what happens as it relates to capital gains taxes that are supposed to be paid to the federal government? Yeah, so two parts of incentives in this program. The longer you hold an investment in a community as an investor, the better the incentive. So at the, at the beginning, you get an incentive on the capital you roll into the program. That's capital you would have ordinarily had to pay taxes on in day one. Now you don't have to pay those taxes until the end of 2026. And when you do, if you held it for long enough, at least seven years, you get a 15% discount on that tax bill. The second incentive is much bigger. If you invest in a fund that's investing in these communities and you hold your stake for 10 years or more, and you earn money on that investment over that 10 years, that new gain is tax-free. And so it's a huge incentive to really change the mindset of where investors are looking at their next potential investment. You know what's interesting about this? Uh, again, it's, it's interesting talking about uh, two United States senators, um, one Democrat, one Republican, both agree on this. It is rare that Democrats and Republicans in Washington agree on anything and get something done together. So what does that say, not only about the senators, who did this, particularly Senator Booker here in New Jersey, but Opportunity Zones. What is it that brings folks together? Well, you're totally right that it's rare. It was maybe the only really bipartisan piece of tax reform, which obviously has been pretty controversial. This was, in fact, Opportunity Zones part of the 2017 federal tax law changes. That's right, passed at the end of last year, and a lot of people didn't know about it until recently because of events like these. Uh, you know, Senator Booker and Senator Scott have worked together on a lot of issues. They worked together on apprenticeships, they worked together on criminal justice reform, they worked together on this. So they're unique in senators and you know, finding a partnership to work across the aisle. But listen, I think more and more, and, uh, and the 2016 election is a great example of that, people are really angry. They're concerned that this story we have in the country that 
4% unemployment and record growth and we've all we fixed everything is not the story of a huge chunk of Americans the living communities that didn't feel any of that and more and more our politics are catching up with that reality and arguably the election of, of Donald Trump was one of those data points and I think the fact that this bill passed and got a hundred members of Congress from all across the spectrum to support it means that this is something that's penetrating more and more even in Washington thank you Steve thank you to see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. Oh, we're laughing because we're old friends. Well, I'm old. He's not. He's Gordon McGinnis, and he's president, New Jersey Policy Perspective. Good to see you, my friend. Nice to see you, Steve. Now, you're a former state senator. You formerly headed up public broadcasting in the state of New Jersey, and you've done a whole bunch of other things. Now, why, when you're at the top of your game, are you deciding to step down from this role? Well, the world has changed, number one. So I like to deal with the people, not just at the top, who are making the decisions in Jersey, but the people who work for them. And I've found that the uh, people who work with me have very good relations with the staff, the senior staffs in the uh, legislature and in the executive branch. That's important for the work that we do. Describe a uh, New Jersey policy perspective. What is it and why does it matter as we put up the website, Gordon? Okay, well, it matters because this is a, uh, if you will, a think and do tank. Uh, it's, yeah, we're, we put out reports. Not just think. To not just think. We put out reports. They're footnoted. They have graphics. But we're there to try and influence what happens in New Jersey, particularly when it comes to policymaking. And we have a point of view that we take every time, which is to, to, to take a progressive point of view, to say New Jersey has got problems. Here's the problem. It needs to answer those problems, and here's what it will take. Frequently, it involves something that most political figures do not want to hear about. For example? Well, New Jersey is now at the bottom of the list of states in terms of its credit rating. It's at the bottom of the list in terms of its capacity to deal with investment in its assets. I mean, we've got a great place among the 50 states. Location is one of them. But if we do not maintain the opportunities for affordable higher education, if we can't put New Jersey Transit back to work on a regular schedule, if we cannot invest in those things which make us a particularly strong state and attract people who are well-educated, who want to get good jobs, who need to get access to New York and Philadelphia, our future is grim. And that's where we are right now. But Gordon, no one's going to disagree with the conceptual aspects of what you just said. By the way, we're speaking with Gordon McGinnis, president, New Jersey policy perspective, former state senator in the state of New Jersey. By the way, go way, way back in our day, you know, this organization, we did a documentary on how legislation, how the legislature should work. We did it with uh, Senator Gordon McGinnis and Rich Bagger, who served in the assembly as well. And right. it's one of my favorite things we've ever done because it <laughs> showed how it really should be done by people who may disagree on policy but are not disagreeable with each other. That being said, a lot of what you talk about talks about taxes, tax fairness. There are some who believe that New Jersey is not a state that you can afford to live in anymore. We're losing a lot of residents with dollars to Florida where there is no 
income tax to Pennsylvania, where the income tax, I think, is 3%. Right. Ours is 9-ish, if you will. And to New York and other places. You say what to those who say Gordon McInnes and some of his friends want to raise New Jersey state <laughs> income tax to do a lot of the things you just said? Long-winded question, but I know you have the answer. Well, first of all, we have a high tax rate compared to most states. You mentioned New York. That's the second state for when people leave New Jersey. That's where they go. And they largely go to New York City, where the taxes are much higher than they are in why? New Jersey. Why are they higher? No, why do we lose them? We lose them because New York City has benefits that we can't match in terms of uh, everything. Being that New people, York City. Yeah, being New York City. So what we have are the assets that draw people who want to be in the center of uh, business and finance and everything else. And they want to live here. And the cost of that is, think about it, we've got 9 million pe people living in the seventh smallest state in the union. We have the highest uh, number of residents per square mile of any state, and whoever's in second isn't even close. And there's a reason for that. And location, access to New York, access to Philadelphia, access to the Northeast, that's all a part of it. We need Senator, excuse me, excuse me, Gordon, yeah. still Senator McGinnis, you still have advocated that we should raise taxes on millionaires. And the negotiation that took place between Governor Murphy and some in the legislature, right. particularly Senate President Sweeney, was that they wouldn't raise taxes on right. millionaires. They would raise it on those who weren't $5 million right. or more. You don't like that. You think it should have been on millionaires. Yes. What about if we lost those folks? We don't. All right? We do. Yes. Everybody has a story. Yes. About somebody, Anecdotally. But statistically. Statistically, the number of people who earn at least a million dollars a year and pay taxes on those earnings, that number has been rising steadily since the Great Depression, the Great Recession. Right. Of so, 2008-9. Right. So, in fact, People are still here, even though taxes on their million dollar plus are higher than they would be if they were in Iowa or in Wyoming. Why tempt fate by raising it? Because the record is that if we, if we do not, we don't have the revenues that we need to invest in the assets that make New Jersey an enviable place. We need to that be. revenue. We need the revenue. Do you think that the middle, okay, policy perspective, your organization came out with this, it was a good one. Uh, who pays analysis released the Institute of Taxation and Economic Policy. Uh, you found that families with annual incomes of $40,000 to $80,000 pay way more than their fair share of taxes. Right. Talk about it. Okay. So here's what we have. You, when you take all the taxes in place, property taxes, right. or the property taxes that renters have to pay. By now, this way, is after a $10,000 cap with the federal government, the, state, and local taxes. Right, but go ahead. Right. They ha we have a sales tax. When you take those taxes, property and sales tax, those right. affect people in the middle a lot more than they affect people at the That's top. That's right, because they pay the same amount. They pay the same amount on whatever they're buying, and they're not buying Aston Martins or Lamborghinis. They're buying coats. They're buying, right. yeah. and they're, they're, they're coats, are they, are they included or not? No. I got that wrong, I'm sorry. That's all right, no, no sales tax on clothing. But in fact, things that they need every day, they buy, and there's six- Refrigerator? Refrigerator, they pay, they pay a tax. And so someone who's making a million dollars, someone who's making $45,000 are paying the same thing. Exactly Not right. Not fair? And they, well, their refrigerator may be more modest if they're making <laughs> $45,000 a year. But conceptually not fair. Not fair. Not fair. And so we need to catch up. And we need to make this a place where people who are in the middle and who are struggling because mm. this is a high cost place. 
There is no place else where the property taxes are higher. There's no, there are very few places where the cost of, of a residence is higher. Mm. So all of that is necessary if you're raising a family, but we give you this benefit. If you're raising a family in New Jersey, you're going to the public schools, schools. public schools that are second best in the nation. Only Massachusetts kids do better on the national test than New Jersey kids. And that's a great yeah. magnet. It's a good deal. Before I let you out of here, uh, by the way, it shows how much I know that I thought clothing was sales tax. Yeah, well, Leave it alone, all right? Edit that out. <laughs> Before I let you go, you've always been someone, as I said, we did that documentary on you and Rich Bagger, civil, respectful, regardless of how people disagree on issues. The tone and tenor of political discourse in our nation, 30 seconds or less. Oh, my God. We've never seen anything like it. And we've never seen anything like it because we have a president who behaves in a way that no previous president has behaved. And they, that person has set in motion all sorts of things that do great damage, particularly to places like New Jersey, but to the entire nation. Gordon McGinnis, who was a former senator, but uh, after a few years is leaving as president, New Jersey policy perspective, he continues to make his mark in this state. And I want to thank you for your service. Thank you, Gordon. Thank you, Steve. All the best. Pleasure to be here. This is State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter, at Steve Adubato. And I promise uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation, celebrating over 25 years of broadcast excellence. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at 2 Gateway. Funding has been provided by New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Seton Hall University, the Northward Center, NJM Insurance Group, the New Jersey Education Association, and by New Jersey Resources. I could feel my lungs fill with oxygen, and I got my life back. The Sharing Network means to me hope, life, and everything. The Sharing Network was a lifeline to me when I really needed it. We are an organ procurement organization. The core purpose of the New Jersey Sharing Network is to save and enhance lives. To honor those who gave. Pay tribute to those who received. Offer hope to those who continue to wait. And remember the lives lost while waiting. For the gift of life. I could feel my lungs fill with oxygen, and I got my life back. The Sharing Network means to me hope, life, and everything. The Sharing Network was a lifeline to me when I really needed it. We are an organ procurement organization. The core purpose of the New Jersey Sharing Network is to save and enhance lives. To honor those who gave. Pay tribute to those who received. Offer hope to those who continue to wait. And remember the lives lost while waiting. For the gift of life. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources.